This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Promised Land. A somber opening <laughs> for me, because Rob and I are going to talk all about Manchester United getting uh, humbled 7-0 at Anfield. This is a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett. A couple of days now, Rob. <laughs> After that, whatever it was, we'll talk about it today. Uh, how are you computing it? It's funny, isn't it? Like, you lose a game of football and that's okay. If you lose 7-0 at Anfield kind of feels a little bit different, doesn't it? So, obviously, a couple of really, really bad days in the Manchester United metaverse, like, completely. And United fans, obviously, suffering. We're all suffering. Um, But there were reasons for the result and reasons for the defeat. We're going to kind of try and pick those apart today, try and give you a little bit more blue skies and a little bit of optimism as well on the back of it, but also try and be completely real because I think we did see some of the failures that are still in this Manchester United DNA that Ten Hag is going to have to iron out in the next six months. Yeah, hopefully, after you're done listening to this, uh, you'll feel a little tiny bit better. United have to play uh, on Thursday night against Real Betis at Old Trafford. They play Southampton then at Old Trafford. And they play Betis again. Newcastle away is another test coming up with a big atmosphere. And they also play Fulham in the FA Cup at Old Trafford. Sorry, losing my voice there. Um, Before the international break, we'll talk exactly what went wrong in our opinions at Anfield. We'll talk Eric Ten Hag, Bruno Fernandes, the captaincy, which is an issue that has uh, come up in the last few days. We'll talk Victor Osserman's dream to play in the Premier League and some other transfer targets that United should possibly go after. And just, I think, the end of the day, we would like to get to the point where, and hopefully this is what Eric Ten Hag will manage to do with the players, to convince them... Forget about it, but remember it. You know, it's a bit of a juxtaposition there, but, you know, you have to remember experiences like that, but learn from them and grow from them and get back on the horse, essentially. Make it make that a freak result and go for the rest of the season back on the kind of form that they were displaying before Anfield and the collapse that came with it. Uh, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. We'll be back after the Betis home leg on Friday uh, with the next show. Head over to YouTube, like, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment for us as well. And uh, follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. So 7-0. Is that like equaled Man United's like heaviest ever defeat with Wolves in 1931 or something like that. I think I saw um, there are obviously lessons to be learned. There is a bit of, I know I've had to, I had to sit in a video yesterday with an Arsenal fan and a Liverpool fan after Arsenal just beat Bournemouth with a 98th minute winner and they were celebrating as if they'd won the league. Um, Liverpool also, some of their fans are convinced that they're back. I didn't think they needed to be that good to put away Man United given the mentality collapse that I saw. Uh, I think things were going pr- 
pretty well up until they switched off on about the 43rd minute and gave up the first goal. And then it just didn't start the second half properly. And you know how it can happen. This team has a history of collapsing in big matches, a recent history at that. And they have a history of getting smashed by Liverpool as well. So I think there was a lot of uh, ghosts in there that were maybe coming back to haunt them. Mm. Uh, But what was your take, Rob? Well, of course, when you concede seven goals, there's always going to be some kind of post-mortem. Because you're going to have to look at that and say, why did that happen? Losing a game of football is okay. Everyone's allowed to lose matches. But you've got to kind of reevaluate when you ship seven at Anfield. Um, kind of, I know like yeah, you've highlighted kind of previous issues of this team and what, what's been the problem for them, maybe attitude-wise, going back over time. And yes, we did see little bits of that, I think, in the football match. But I think it's more about how you react to adversity in the moment. What do you do? Now, United this season have proved multiple times that they are much better at at responding to adversity when they've gone a goal behind or say it's not worked in the first half. They go to the dressing room. They sort it out. They come out in the second half. They're a better football team. Um, That didn't happen at Anfield for whatever reason. And I do think that some of this... Scott is about being humble and being and having mm-hmm. humility on a football pitch is that you can never get away with being above your station at a place like Anfield you are always second favorite at Anfield they could be 10th you could be second or first you are always second favorite and you must remember that yeah and this was I think some of my problem before the game where people were saying well United are going to go there and win it's like well well hopefully but, you know, form doesn't mean anything in this fixture. Liverpool always the favourites at Anfield. That's just what it is. And I think United took their eye off that. So you went 1-0 down, bad first goal, really was. Got cut open, open by Fred, Delo, Varane, all not doing their jobs correctly. Bad first goal. But then every goal after that was just bad, horrific. And it was all about United not doing their jobs correctly. And maybe, I think, a lack of humility, a lack of understanding that you've got to put your body on the line every play. Every time they go forward, they might score. And you've got to remember that. This is Anfield. This is Anfield. It's a problem. You have to make sure that you're strong. So I think United gave that away, Scott. And I think that was a big part of this. And I think, again, it highlights the leadership structure at Man United. United got better leaders than before, but haven't really still got that true captain that I think gives you the emotional control in those moments. You're still missing that. And if Harry Maguire is going to leave the football club, which we do believe that he will in the summer, something we will talk about in the weeks ahead much more, then you need to find a leader or mould someone in the system that you've already got to be your next leader as a full-time captain of Manchester United. Yeah, uh, we have seen perhaps not a collapse as bad as that one, uh, given it was seven that they shipped this time. But we have seen... I think Liverpool turned up to Old Trafford last season. And I, I even this defeat, I think, was not as bad as that one because I think that one mm. at Old Trafford was the very, very bottom. Uh, and it could not get any lower than that. Maybe the Anfield reverse where they won 4-0 was uh, <laughs> just as bad. But United, uh, they've only lost a handful of games this season. They Well, they've lost six in the Premier League this season so far. Mm. But what we have seen in those defeats is 
a suggestion really, or just actual proof on the pitch that they just cannot deal with at times the pylon and the adversity. And they're, mm. they're, I think they're still very mentally fragile and they're showing mm. at times that they're able to get over that. But in big games or at times where they feel like the world is piling upon them, they just allow it to happen. They conceded six at City, four at Brentford, seven at Liverpool. At Arsenal, they gave up three. I think there was a bit more metal in that performance, but I think they were still well beaten, even though it was 3-2. Three at Villa and obviously two at home to Brighton. But there's something in common. There's five, five of those defeats are away from home. I'm looking at the Brentford City and Liverpool ones in particular. That is six, four, that's 10, 17 goals given up in three games. Mm. And that for me, there's there's a common theme with all of them. It's that they have not closed the game down. They have not been smart. They have not been able to deal with the pressure that's coming with it. And I think that is, um, that's completely mental. It's completely mental. United lost all against, against Liverpool. They lost all of their structure. They lost all of their heart. They kind of thought, oh my God, here we go again. And I think that is a common theme in the three defeats that I've just mentioned. The classic Anfield rabbit in the headlights. But as you said, we have seen it before. It's ironic, isn't it? Because this has come about in this game at Anfield and this horrible scoreline for Manchester United. It During the period where we all kind of feel that United have got their best centre-back pairing since Rio and Vidic. So, like, here you are now with Varane and Martinez, and we all feel really good about that. United have had plenty of clean sheets to back that up. David De Gea has had plenty of really good performances to back that up. Even and Rio yet- and Vidic gave up four at Old Trafford to Liverpool. Oh, yeah, look, look I've, I've, I was there. You know, like, yeah. I, I, I've seen you, you can have generational talents and partnerships fail. It does happen in football matches. Like that's why we love football because it's such an anomaly. Sometimes you can't predict actually everything in a game of football. But I think when you look at it, the structure that United have built over say, I don't know, 20 to 30 games now defensively has worked really well and has looked like a platform and a foundation to build upon. Now that hasn't disappeared. So people need to chill. That hasn't gone. That is still there. You've still got those elements. I think what it is, is it's like the sun with the moving planets around it and all being in different positions. At Anfield, just the, the, the universe of Manchester United was just in different places where you expect it to be. And this is what you need to learn. You, know, you need to take lessons from this game and say to yourself, right, what really happened at Anfield? Like, yeah, you lost 7-0, but what was it? What's the kind of minutiae points here that make you different? What makes you better next season and in the future and in the next game at Betis you know what can you just take back from what you've achieved in the last 30 games and make sure that you're a better football club again so there's a lots of that going on and like you just said there about the team I still think when you look at the performance on the day it was kind of the usual suspects from maybe Manchester United year or two gone by pre-10 Hag that I looked at performance wise and went ugh so yeah the new signings didn't play well They've had great a great season, haven't they? The Casemiro's and Martinez's, etc. But for me, again, I think there's a bigger weight on maybe the likes of Bruno Fernandes as the captain, his overall work rate and maybe his attitude. I thought Deleu at right back has not looked the same player since the World Cup. And I know he had a knock after the World Cup, but I think even going into it, there was a little bit of a drop-off and that drop-off has continued. So you have to make that big choice about whether he starts. I don't think he's a valid starter at the moment. And you kind of have to look backwards. So like even Rashford as the nine, Rashford's been the best player in the world 
undoubtedly for the last few months. He's been there from the left. Yeah, he's played on the left and he's been the best player in the world. He's not as good as the nine. He just isn't. So you have to look at that and say to Rashford, well, why were you not pressing maybe with the kind of energy that we expect? Well, maybe it's just not his game, isn't it? So they're, they're all kind of, I think, Ole things. Fred still gives you these hot and cold performances, doesn't he? He's either brilliant or absolutely awful. And he was awful at Anfield. So that's four players that you cannot carry in a system and expect to win at Anfield or get anything. So that's half your team. So I think Ten Hag would have learned a lot about that because I still think, as you said, there's a fragility there that lives up here and a little bit in here pointing to my heart. Like I felt that when it was 2-0 and 3-0, I was just like, shut the shop. Yeah, just close this down, try and get a goal back, but don't do stupid things. What did United do, Scott? They were just stupid on repeat. The set, like the first goal was bad defending. The second goal, right after half time, United had about seven chances to clear the ball. I, I saw players slipping over. Hmm. I saw them try to clear it. It was just bouncing off ankles and knees. Yeah. And it, it, it was essentially like the ball was just somehow bouncing in the direction towards Man United's goal. And then it ended up in there. Hmm. But they nobody took any ownership over it. We, we talked before we started recording about the players at half time. Hmm. And up until about 40 minutes, I think maybe United weren't the better team. But I think in terms of the game plan, it was going to plan. And mm. I think you said earlier, just get to half time at nil-nil or better. <laughs> and then they end up giving a goal away, which was very cheap after 43. And then the players come back out after the break and are laughing in the tunnel. Yeah. And, and, that, and that was a problem for me. I saw that at half time, and it did worry me because I thought, oh, I don't want to be talking about that after the game. And here we are now. And I actually think it's worth talking about because it showed a malaise in their attitude. So you're at Anfield. You, yeah, you've managed the game really well for 45 minutes, but you are 1-0 down, so there's work to do. Poker face, please. Stand in the tunnel. Get ready. Go out there. This is your job. And I think Roy Keane kind of said something the same. Roy talks a lot of hot and bluster. Like he still, you know, he talks like Roy Keane, the player, all these years later, and about what he thinks are expectations of footballers. I understand that. I think there's a bit more nuance and balance to it than than just saying you've got to go out there and be double tough and double hard. But you do need to have that, I think, outward projection. Like, you can't be stood in the tunnel having a laugh and a joke like you, you're doing your shopping at a local supermarket with your mates. What? No, you can't do that. You have to be more serious. So, And, and that was Casemiro, and that was Martinez, and these were players that we've lauded over the last few weeks, saying how great they've been in terms of their attitude. Laughing in the tunnel, two minutes later, 2-0 down. These things do correlate. And then after that, complete collapse. So I think that that again, Ten Hag will look at that. I don't really know what else he could have done. There are tactical changes. We can talk about that today. Bruno at the 10 is a problem. Rashford playing through the nine because you're not sure about Vega scoring goals, I think, is a problem. What do you do with Jaden Sancho in the middle of all of that now? Then you look at the midfield. Fred, is Fred really going to be a long-term choice? Well, not for me. Then I think you're looking at right back. I'm going to give Luke Shaw a pass for the game. Luke Shaw was terrible. But I still think Luke Shaw is an elite left back and can continue in that mould for the rest of the season and beyond. At right back, you've got to decide whether Aaron Wambasaka is good enough to be your first choice for now and going forward because you might now need to go and buy a right back. So I think they're the problem areas for United that week by week maybe get hidden sometimes because results have been good. When you have a bad result, it's like the ultimate reset. 
Yeah, I know you wanted to mention about the XG, Rob, with the goals. Mm. Um, like, it was very low. <laughs> Let's just say that. I, I, but I think, for me, the what led to the collapse was ultimately United not doing their jobs properly and not being able to get themselves through the game. The game was lost at 2-3-0, probably. Um, but it's the way that they did not maintain their structure. And that's what Eric Ten Hag has pointed to and will point to, is that they, they didn't... We'll talk about Ten Hag and if he, if he deserves some blame in a second, because obviously he did oversee this. But on the XG, is this just a freak, do you think? <laughs> Jurgen Klopp called it a freak result. It's a statistical freak because the XG was so low for Liverpool. I say low, like it, it was still okay, but it was so low in the context of a 7-0 win. It wasn't like the XG was like 5.5 and you got absolutely hammered 7-0. It wasn't that. The XG was below three and Manchester United was below one. So it shows how, how United's attack failed as well. But I think when you look at the goals and like you were just saying there, Every goal, pretty much, I think six of the seven were completely preventable. I think the one that was the least preventable was the cross into the box by Henderson and, and Darwin Nunes' header. That's a clean look. So that's a good finish from Nunes. So you, you applaud him for that. Man United could have done better in that moment by stopping the cross or getting tighter to Nunes. But every goal was about Man United's bad defending and bad decision-making rather than Liverpool's outstanding play. Like, look at Salah's goal where he hits the crossbar and it goes in. That comes about Scott McTominay making one or two really bad choices when he drops back in there. And then he makes the assist for Salah. Like, it comes off him and he pushes it into the middle, splits our defenders because Salah's down in the middle. Delo's nowhere near. He should track across. Delo just was like, I'm not doing that today. Not having it. You know, there was that happened quite a lot in the game. Both sides were both fullbacks. Um and it was just a bad one. The XG shows that. And that's why we talk about it, I think, as journalists, just that the XG doesn't matter. The only statistic that matters is the scoreline. I get that. But you have to explain the scoreline. And the XG does not explain the scoreline. All it explains is how bad Man United were. Some of those goals were had an XG of 0.06 individual goals. That means the goal shouldn't happen. That means that you've got 25 chances to clear it, Scott. 0.06 for four of the goals. What? That does not happen in football. That is what I called during the game and afterwards football malpractice. Man United went there and completely forgot about what they were supposed to do. And that is just like clear the football when you get the opportunity. Keep the ball away from David De Gea. Help the goalkeeper. They didn't do any of that on the day. And that's why there's a little bit of an inquest. What about Eric Ten Hag then? Because he made selections that... I probably would have started Wan-Bissaka. I probably would have started mm. Rashford on the left, as we've discussed already. Yeah. He does like to tweak things. Um, obviously, he has taken United a hell of a long way already, but I think that a result like this... this If this had ended 2-0, it would have been a 2-3-0. This would have been a bad day. But mm. I think the fact that they went on to score more goals could because United didn't keep their structure. I think, ultimately, the players deserve most of the blame. And we'll talk about individual players soon. I would like to stress that I think it was a collective fault and not one particular player, even though we will talk about um, certain players in a little while. Um, how much blame should Eric Ten Hag take? Should he at 3-0 have just gone, all right, this is it? Should they have a default shutout formation to, to go into and they just, it's kind of like fixed positions? What, how, how would you have managed it from, well, even from the very beginning? 
Well, I did tweet at halftime what I would have done, and I would. I'm still sticking by it. Looking at the result and the way it went, I would stick by this. And the only substitution I'd have made at halftime, and I would have made one, is I would have got Delo off. I thought Delo looked passive going forward, awful going backwards, and I think that when you've got two fullbacks either side of the quality of Robertson and Alexander-Arnold on the front foot, you have to think like that. You think we have to look after these zones as part of the pitch. So I'd have taken Delo off and I, th- I would have brought Wan-Bissaka in and I would have just shored that up. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that Wan-Bissaka is going to give you more on the front foot, but it means that you've got a little bit of more like combativeness on that side of the pitch. You were giving too much away. I think if you'd done that, the whole idea, Scott, that even at 1-0... Keep managing the game. Get to the 70th minute at 1-0. Yeah, go and get your equaliser in the 80th minute. That's what you do in these top-level football matches. You shouldn't be thinking at half-time, well, we'll just score 2-3-4 and we'll win 4-1. Because I think that's what they are thinking, United. I think United are going, well, we just we manage these situations just by winning games now. That's what we do. That's our DNA. Well, no. Some of these games, you have to be a little bit more acute. So how much does the manager take to blame for that? I think he should have made a change at half-time. I think the substitutes came a little bit too late after that. You know, I think it was more reactive rather than proactive. And I think when you look at it, I think the selection, the selection wasn't a shock, was it? But I think Bruno playing on the left when he's not played on the left all season is a problem. I think Veghorst, if he's not playing the nine, then you have to you have to kind of have a more cute reason for him to play the 10 in this kind of game. Like he's not pressing from the 10. That's a problem. Rashford's been brilliant on the left, but you're playing him through the middle because you're looking for a bit of speed to run Van Dyke. And then you've got Anthony, who's only really coming back into the team the last few weeks. That conundrum is a Rubik's Cube. And Ten Hag has to keep changing. Every week we're seeing him changing this, aren't we? Those front four change. Sancho comes in, Garnacho comes in. And we're all going, that's fluid. That's quite good, isn't it? No, not at Anfield. Anfield, you need to set your stall out and maybe hit them harder on the counter-press and the counter-attack. You know, I didn't counter-press the whole game, Scott. That shows to me that front four failed as a unit. So I'm with you like that. I, I think it's a collective failure. And maybe someone called it a collective brain fart. Like, it, it was like 11 plays completely being all on the same page, and that page being the wrong page. <laughs> That's how it was. But I do think there are individuals still in there, and I don't want to pick on people, but I'm going to mention people because I think, I think it's important. I think this is how you build and you move forward. There are still people in the team and in the squad that have brought problems from previous days and years forward with them. And those problems still exist. So Ten Hag needs to fix that with individuals. But at the same time, you're still in a better position than you were at the start of the season, or maybe even a better position than where you were in the Ronaldo world. You know, when Ronaldo was the king of the team, but you fix that. And you fix that by moving Ronaldo out and bringing in Veghorst. Not something that's conventional, but you did fix it. You became a better team. So I think that Ten Hag has to look at it laterally and make those changes now, obviously through the next transfer window, but also with what he's already got in the squad. I think I called it a performance by idiots as the goals were going in because totally. it, just, it just did seem like nobody... Well, they'd all lost their heads collectively. And I think yeah. the way that Ten Hag spoke after the game... And I'm sure that the way he dealt with things at Carrington yesterday will be A, to make them reflect on what an abysmal showing it was and B, try and learn from it and also forget about it to get back on the horse and start winning games again in the fashion that they were before that game. Um, I know you've mentioned there. Go on, if you want. See, I don't think we should forget it. Don't forget it, yeah? Put it on the wall and look at it every day, yeah? Put that scoreline up there and say, if you want to be that bad... 
that's what happens. Look at that scoreline because the Liverpool fans and Liverpool are going to tell us for the rest of our lives, Scott, what a great day at Anfield it was. We don't have to live with that. That's just what it is. Now, I don't think emotionally as footballers, you carry that game to game. But you should always be reminded that if you take your foot off the gas, you are going to get humiliated. Yeah, That's and your kind fans of what will be I was trying to get. To Sorry, like, I, I'm yeah. not jumping in there, but <laughs> it's kind of like I, I do think there's a lot of this. Like, I'll put it behind us. Thing, yeah, of course, put it behind us. But don't forget, don't forget how bad you can be, but also remember how good you can be. Yeah, be the best version of yourself. Blah 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 blah. I know we say that all the time, but it's true. But there's still some players in there that don't quite. I don't think attain that every week. Like we can't blame Harry Maguire anymore, can we? He's not there. So this is the thing. You've got leaders on the football pitch, Scott. They need to lead. I think Luke Shaw, I'm trying to find the quote now, but I think he said that A, right after the game, he said he's going to make us watch this again. Yeah. And I tweeted as well, make them watch it seven times. Definitely. (laughs) Uh, And I think he also said that uh, he made the players listen to the celebrations. After Which the is game. good. That's a Fergie thing. That's mm. the kind of thing Fergie would have done. You know, look at what you did today. This is your fault, not Liverpool's fault. But listen to the way they're celebrating because of how stupid you were. So I like that. I think I think Luke Shaw's really honest. Like Luke Shaw had his worst game in the season, maybe his worst game for many years in there. But as you said, it was a collective problem, isn't it? And I think you can look at the last... I don't know, 20 games body of work and say that some of these guys, you can just say it was a bad day at the office. But there are one or two, I think, repetitive issues that keep cropping up for me game to game. That I think Ten Hag's going to have to kind of dissect a little bit more and go in there and be a surgeon and kind of sculpt around it and find a better Manchester United off the back of it. But we can't forget this. And we never, we won't be allowed to forget it. And these players must remember this years in the future, Scott. Yet Garnacho was on the bench, wasn't he? I want him to remember it, what he saw that day and thinks, yeah, do you know what? If you don't put a day in at your hardest work rate at the office, you might get punished. And seven nils do happen. Liverpool lost 7-2 at Aston Villa in exactly the same scenario. Not turning up, not bothering, thinking that they're better than it, get beaten 7-2 by uh, Watkins and Grealish. So let's remember it, but let's use it. Let's empower us. So Luke Shaw saying that, I'm glad he said that because I think he's quite an honest guy. Yeah, go and read his, uh, <laughs> at least it wasn't a social media post <laughs> this time. Uh, <laughs> like, I think the thing for me is <clears throat> learn from it, make sure that never happens again, as far yeah. as you're concerned. So you don't have to go making social media posts on iPhone notes that you post on your Twitter or your Instagram I know. afterwards, because I think every United fan has had enough of it. Anyway, we'll talk um, individuals. I know you did want to talk about Bruno Fernandes uh, mm. and the captaincy. Now, Bruno the way he throws his arms in the air there was accusations that he asked to be substituted by Gary Neville on commentary I think and that's since been disproven Uh, he shoved an official which like if if you had heard about that and not watched it it would have been Paolo Di Canio Paul Alcock vibes but it was actually just uh, Mm. a response you know kind of I'm I'm going past you. Uh, yeah, here's a quick pat on the back. Shouldn't have done that, absolutely. But in plugging my own Twitter again, <laughs> the reaction to Bruno Fernandez's behavior is quickly becoming more ridiculous than Bruno Fernandez's actual behavior. And I'm seeing honestly that the fallout on this. I think if this was another player, 
or for another team who've been on the set, the receiving end of this result, it would have been brushed under. If this was a Southampton player doing this, nobody would have heard about this. Um, and it would not have been a thing. But there is there are questions because Bruno Fernandes was wearing the captain's armband. He has been the captain for United for the duration of the season, really, with Harry Maguire not in the picture. Hmm. There is a, an actual conversation to be had on who should be the captain moving forward. I understand why Bruno Fernandes has the armband at the moment, but what what did you want to mark out on Bruno Fernandes, Rob? What did you want to what did you want to say? Because we'll, we'll talk about the captaincy as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm always really, really kind of tentative about talking about Bruno now because every time I talk about him or if I highlight something that I think isn't right with him, I get a load of blowback immediately. It's a little bit like the Cristiano situation, whereas if you say I don't like these things that this player does you get a ton of uh, football fans going, oh, well, you hate him, you don't like him. And it's like, it's not that at all. It's just about doing your job better. And I do think that Bruno Fernandes, despite all the incredible numbers that he's returned since he came to Manchester United, and let's be honest, he's right up there with the elite players in terms of bringing back metrics, in terms of scoring goals and assists, that you can't then talk about these things in a more lateral sense in football terms. I think with Bruno Fernandes, there are two ongoing issues. And I think, one is more important than the other. But let's ta- start with the lesser problem. I always think that Bruno Fernandes has quite an egotistical view of himself. I've always thought that. I think what the way he plays football, I think that's part of his DNA. And I've got no issue with that. I think if you believe in yourself, that's a good trait. But you mustn't be a, like a man on an island. You can't be. You can't be on your own in your mentality and how you work. Now, I think Bruno can be a team player. I think he shows that often. But I think he also shows way too often that he's a little bit of an individual, you know, a little bit of a maverick in his own mind. And he does what he wants to do. I remember him saying when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was his manager, and I have said this on our show before, but he said, oh, Ole's told me that I need to like not, not run around as much. I need to be more controlled to conserve energy. But that's not what I do. Sorry, your manager's told you to do that. You do it. You do it. Now, I don't like that because that's a bad mentality, right? That's, now, that was two, three years ago. Fast forward to the future. Here we are now. Bruno Fernandes is a captain of the football club. Probably correct that he wears the armband in Maguire's absence because we've not had that transition between senior players or anything like that. But I still think that Bruno Fernandes in the lesser side of this issue. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. His problem is his leadership, how he runs the game as a captain and what he does. Way too much of this, way too much throwing his hands in the air, little touch in the face, I'm going to roll around for a week. It's embarrassing doesn't really bother me like I look at that it doesn't I don't go oh no I'm really sad about that but I look at that and I kind of go no you have to be the physical representation of our football club on a football pitch we've got the armband that's what it is that's problem one problem two for me is I think something that we've reiterated a lot this season and I think it's manifesting itself in this result is that Ten Hag for some reason whether it be on the pitch off the pitch in training whatever does not really fancy Bruno as a 10. Now, Bruno plays the 10 most weeks, and I think you play him because that's his position. That's where he is best. 
out being a 10 or an 8, isn't it? He's a better number 10. But he's getting pushed into wide areas, Scott, for a reason. And the reason is that his on-the-ball work, his control of the football, is not good enough. It's the truth. People don't want to talk about the truth. You know, you can't handle the truth. But people don't want to talk about it because he still delivers metrics. He does get you that perfect pass. You know, we've seen it in recent games, haven't we, where he'll get you a great assist. But one great assist does not work with giving the ball away 15 times at your feet, Scott. You can't have one without the other. You've got to have the perfect pass and the perfect game. That's how you become champions. That's how you become better. So for me, the 10 position is almost as tricky now as the nine. So you know that Ronaldo left, didn't you? Like in in, uh, in the winter, you need the number nine. I do also think you're probably now going to need a number 10 that can run games. Because for me... You do have Christian Eriksen. You have Christian Eriksen. Now, you could bring Christian Eriksen back. Now, he's obviously hopefully going to be back around April time. We don't know. We don't know how fit he'll be. We don't know how ready he'll be. So we have to give him a little bit of a chance. But for me, there is that thinking going forward is that even next season, you might see Eriksen more at the 10, which is something we've asked to see earlier in the season. And that's not a swipe at Bruno. Bruno, if you're listening to this, you've got to be better, man. You have to be. You've got to be able to take... I don't like it that Bruno goes in front of a camera, Scott, after games and gives all the diatribes. Oh, we were this, we were that, we have... Well, fix it. Don't tell us. We don't want to know. We want to see it on a football pitch. So if Bruno wants to be the captain of this football club going forward, and I think he does want to be, then you need to be more of a captain and you need to be more perfect with the ball at your feet, with the short game, because he isn't. And let's be honest, and I think that's why Ten Hag's going, well, you can start on the left at Anfield because I don't want you giving the ball away in the middle of the pitch and then we're going to get counter-pressed because that happens way too often. So that's, I don't want to bash Bruno and I know it sounds like it and I know you like Bruno and I know other people like Bruno. I like Bruno, but Bruno, you've got to do better because you're the heart and soul of that part of the football pitch. You have to run it. It's not just about running around and throwing your hands in the air and, you know, showing that you care. You've got to be technically better. That's the big problem for me, Bruno Fernandes, is te- technically he's still not the player we need. When he came to the football club, other clubs didn't sign him, Scott, because he wasn't technically good enough. That was the reason those clubs gave at the time. We took him. United we took- were one of them, by the way. They, they Exactly. Didn't, they didn't do it six months earlier because he gave, he gave the ball away so much. And let's be honest, you came to the football club, you were a sensation, yeah? We loved him. He helped us get second. He helped that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer project immeasurably. You know, he was the signing. He was the man. He was the guy. But in this project, you've got to be something different and a little bit more. I still think Bruno, I think the issue with Bruno is almost identical to Ronaldo, is that Ronaldo believes Ronaldo has to be everything to the club. And the truth is, you're still just one of 11 players. Bruno, I think, wants to be everything but sometimes I just want him to be a functional number eight, ten. Scott, put the ball in the deck and give it to someone simple and go and find another position where you can hurt people. In the final third, Bruno Fernandes is great. Everywhere else, Bruno Fernandes stinks. He does. He's a bad central midfielder. He's bad in the wide areas when he's doing defensive work. And he can't be. Because if, if it's going to be like that next season, Scott, what you got to do? got to go buy number number 10 or you've got to give the keys to Ericsson and say right you run the game from here you've got a brand new number nine in front of you whoever that might be we'll talk about that in a second you've got Rashford on the left and on the right you've got Jaden Sancho go run the game I think Ericsson can do that what does that mean Scott it means that Bruno Fernandes sits on the bench that's not something he's going to be happy with so I say to him the challenge is be better well there shouldn't be any untouchables in this team absolutely um, not and Bruno's included in that 
Um, the captaincy is an issue, obviously. Mm. I would like to just say that I do completely agree with the fact Bruno Fernandes has the armband at the moment mm-hmm. uh, because of the amount of time he's been at the club. He does have some leadership qualities. He has he's a vice been... captain. Yeah, he is. He's vice yeah. captain. Harry Maguire is not in the team. Yeah. Harry Maguire will likely be sold in the summer for a cut price fee compared to what they pay before. If they can get 30 million, then fantastic. That would be, <laughs> you bite, yeah. bite a hand off of that, right? But I think this process with Eric Ten Hag in charge is an evolution. We've seen definitely one phase of getting from where United were at Brentford to where United were before Anfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, I think, is a call back to that Brentford day. Yeah. They need to react well again. I think Bruno Fernandes will keep the armband for as long as he's on the pitch and Harry Maguire isn't for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But in the summer, is a chance to reset. There's going to be a clear out of players. I think up to 10 could probably end up going. We've done a story on 90min.com over the last few days about six that could be going for actual cash. Harry Maguire being one of them. And then in the summer is another chance to move into chapter two of the reset. Mm-hmm. Captaincy is an issue that probably needs to be fixed for long term. And I don't, I, as long as Casemiro's English is up to scratch by then, I think he is the cast iron pick for that personally. Yeah, completely. And I think that's how most Man United fans feel. I did a poll on Twitter because it's more about just to see what the feeling is. Because let's be honest, Twitter is not always a really good gauge for anything in the world, is it? Like, Not really. But for a captaincy poll, I'm all right with that. Tell us who you would like to be captain next year. I still think people, just in a minor majority, still think Bruno. But I think when you look at it with Casemiro, Martinez and Varane, is that you already have three leaders in your football team, don't you, that you could turn to. So you're right. I think Casemiro is the obvious choice. But I'd actually be really happy with Varane or Martinez and I think, for me, that Bruno Fernandes cannot be your full-time captain. Because for me, he might not even be playing. He might be coming off the bench. And then you have a Maguire situation again, don't you? So it has to be someone who is a cast-iron starter. And I think those three guys that we talked about there, they are the starters. And they are the heart and soul of the club now. Those three, through the middle of the pitch, everything good that happens at Manchester United is going to come with those three guys leading it. That's how I feel at the moment. So... I think you've got to go with it. I think I think Casemiro is the obvious pick. And he's been an amazing leader, hasn't he? Been in the middle of the football pitch for Manchester United this season. Yet here we are talking about United galvanising themselves in the top four, having a better season, they've won a trophy. And we're still questioning Bruno Fernandes' leadership like we were maybe a year ago or two years ago. We're talking about his demeanour and how he, how he runs stuff. So I think you do need a proper captain who is your... Absolute leader. You know, he's the guy in the middle and people listen to him and he's the one that runs the show. Casemiro, for me, is the outstanding choice. Yeah, I mean, on Varane, I I understand that, but I think the injury proneness in him, uh, obviously Casemiro is carrying an injury, but I think what has happened since Casemiro has joined is, we've all talked about it, how standards are way higher than they ever used to be Boom. Uh, not at Anfield on Sunday obviously he was also no. carrying an injury but I think it is a, a time to reset in the summer there'll be players leaving and this needs to happen we, we've always said it it needs to happen hmm. and I think Casemiro leading from the base of the midfield the way he applies himself the way he is revered by his teammates and respected by his teammates the way he 
you can even look at it in his celebrations of goals and this kind of thing and the way the players have spoken about him and looked up to him since he's joined. I think he is the candidate for me. But we'll see. This is something to deal with in the offseason. But let's uh, let's talk about leadership as a in a general sense. We have known, and this is part of the reason probably why they bought Casemiro, we have known that United have lacked leaders for a long time. Mm-hmm. And this is not new. So... I think they need to prime more, <laughs> probably. Uh, and at the risk of getting comments saying Brexit FC, go on. <laughs> are you just putting it on me now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I'll say that I think what we did see the other day is we're seeing, we know that the 9-10, and we've discussed it, the 9 mm. in particular is a problem. That their course is a stopgap. We know that. Uh, Victor Osserman has said, it is my dream to play in the Premier League. And the popular choice is Victor Osserman. But Rob's and my choice for the new central striker is Harry Kane. <laughs> Isn't it? Why is that, Rob? Right. Let's get into this. <laughs> um, this United, is not new information, by the way. No, it's not new. And it's not new. But I do, I do think that kind of as the season unravels and we're getting towards the end of the campaign... And we're kind of re- really micro-analysing still the weaknesses and the cracks at Man United. And we're trying to find solutions. And I think this is kind of how Eric Ten Hag will be thinking as well about what does he do in these, these key positions. Manchester United need to address three positions, I think, as a matter of urgency going into the next transfer window. Eight, nine and ten. They are the three areas through that middle part of the pitch. If you've sorted out your centre-backs, but as you said, Varane is something you need to look at. You've got your number six. That number six is probably the best in the world in terms of being a number six or how he Even does it. he, in the next three years or so, though, needs to be supported with a, a, another player. Correct. Is that, and this is why you need to build laterally with a number eight. I keep using the word laterally today, but it does. it is pertinent. I think when you look at it, Fred, McTominay, these are all stop gaps. These are not players that are going to take you to the next level. They can help you in a squad situation. I think when you look at Christian Eriksen, Eriksen, I think, has been a successful number eight this season. I think he's done it really well. I think we were a better team when Ericsson was fit. Undoubtedly in that midfield, we had more control, better on the ball, better off the ball. We did all of that. But you do need to go into the transfer market now. You need to find, I think, an 8, 9, 10 that all complement each other, yeah, that give you something in the middle. In my head, Scott, looking at Ajax days, this is how I was thinking yesterday. I'm thinking about how Ten Hag built that front line around the likes of Tadic and Haller, and why he looked at those things and went, these are not fashionable players, they're just the right players. That's what I'm going to do. So Man United need the right players. So let's talk about the thing that you just mentioned. Harry Kane. And we'll talk also about the midfield position in a minute as well. I'm not interested where, where Harry Kane's from. I don't care if he's English or whether he was born on the moon. Not interested in those things. Brexit FC, as you said, I'm not bothered about that. I think the thing is with Harry Kane is that he is going to be gettable in the summer if obviously things at Tottenham maybe carry on. We don't know whether Conte will be at the club next year. We don't know really what Tottenham themselves want to do. Maybe they will feel it's time to get a big transfer fee for their two top guns. You know, I even think Sun may potentially be on the market in the summer. I'm not sure that's a player that Man United would be looking at. But I think with Harry Kane is that you don't just need goals. Like I'm not looking for a Ronaldo replication up top. We're also not just looking for Veghorst Mark II. Like, you could probably keep Veghorst next year and use him in a pressing system when you needed to use him. Just someone that you've got in your squad, a squad player. But you need a primary nine that not just scores goals, not just assists, but leads Scott. You need leaders. 
And if Cristiano is your anti-leader, because I think that's what he was, it's about him and everyone else go to hell. You know, I win football matches on my own because I'm the godhead. You need someone who's a little bit more humble than that and can lead as a captain or be captain material. Harry Kane brings that in droves. He does. And if you could go get a player like Kane, who, being honest, is towards the end of his career, you know, he's pushing towards the 30s and into that that area where you're a bit more concerned about load management and those kind of things. That's 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 a that's a salient point, but he can upgrade you like that in that position. Like bang. Day one of the season next year, bang, you have a striker that can get you 25 goals with his eyes closed and assists and lead and push you towards a title. So that's why Harry Kane for me is the most obvious choice. I like Osserman, but you just tell to, me, Scott, just why to you step in on Osserman there. Hmm. Like I completely agree with the snap of the fingers. Upgrades you straight away. Yeah. Victor Osserman is killing it for Napoli. Absolutely killing it. I have no doubt he's an amazing player. He is. But we have seen time and time again with strikers coming from Serie A. You don't have to mm. look at like any, anyone in recent Lukaku in recent years. Yeah. Coming from Inter scoring a bunch of goals. Tammy Abraham's really good in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> United linked with Tammy Abraham as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not for me. I think United can get better. Not, not for but me. The risk you run with Victor Osserman is you're paying more money. Mm. For, and you yes, you do get a massive upside, but you also get the a massive potential downside as well if, if it doesn't go right you've then spent 120 to 150 million pounds on a player who is great but maybe can't make the jump you already know harry kane can do it in the premier league and in europe yeah ideally you could go buy them both like you know if you have owners in the next few months who have got all the money in the world and that might happen it might also not happen but if you've got that you could go and look at two forwards couldn't you to rebuild your front line completely so there is that but I think the thing is with Osserman is that yeah I'd love Osserman if Osserman signed for May night tomorrow I'd be very happy do you know what I mean we'd look at him and go he's been amazing in Serie A and and I think the point you make there is really really crucial is that strikers from Italy played the Italian league have found it really difficult to step up in the Premier League and be successful. But Romelu Lukaku is an obvious choice. He's played for us already, Romelu. Obviously, went to Italy, was great. Went back to Chelsea, wasn't so great, was he? So, I think the thing is with Harry now Kane is that... Nor, nor Chelsea won him. No, exactly. And you know what? With the Harry Kane thing, I've never been what I would call a Harry Kane fan. Like, I'm not too high on the English... Uh, England team and looking at all of that. I follow it like everyone else. I report on it for work. You know, I've been to World Cups. I've done all those things. But I think when you look at Harry Kane, he is like the one constant for me. And that's the bit I'm attracted to. I think that you could bring him to Man United and he would give you unbelievable consistency. Even if it was just for a short period, Scott, even if it would say two to three years, I think Harry Kane can give you that. And that allows you to carry on building. Go fix the other bits on the pitch because you don't have to think about number nine anymore. you got this guy for a few years and he's going to give you leadership and you don't have to worry about him in terms of ego. Like He's not going to be like Ronaldo going, well, give me the ball or I stand here with my hands on my hips. I'm going to cry. I'm going to sit on the bench. I'm going to walk down the tunnel because I don't like these things. Harry Kane's not going to do that. I don't care that he's English or whether I said he was born on the moon. Find players that fit your system. You know, Kane isn't Haller, you know, Bruno isn't Tadic, but you've got to find a chemistry that works for Man United next season with the stuff that's been successful this year. What's been successful, Scott? Rashford, massive success on the left. 
Rashford, that's his position. You've got to keep him there. Don't just try and push him in the middle. You know, look through the team. The centre-backs have been a success this year. Luke Shaw has been a success. People don't want to say it, but David De Gea has been a success in his role, what he does. Yes, you might have to go get a new goalkeeper eventually, of course. Casemiro, massive success. But then you look at all the other bits. Garnacho, big success. Other bits, and there's question marks. So you could say Anthony get better, Fred get better. You could look at these players, you know, consistently Delo now needs to kind of start again. There are issues still across the team. But for me, 8, 9, 10. Go fix 8, 9, 10 in this window. If you only buy three players, Scott, make sure it's in those three positions. In the ri- To run the risk even further of Brexit FC, I know you wanted to give a, a, a doth of cap to Declan Rice as well. <laughs> I did, and uh, you d- don't sound so disparaging, Scott, because I know off camera you were saying how much you love Declan Rice. Well, no, I'm just I'm trying to find a way to to transition <laughs> the conversation towards Declan Rice. Well, after talking about strikers, maybe maybe this is the thing, right? So eight nine I, ten. I mentioned, eight nine ten. Yeah, I mentioned Casemiro uh, hmm. being captain, and I talked about how in a few years' time, Casemiro is thirty thirty one. In a few years' time, and especially if he c- gets injured. What we've seen this season with Casemiro is that he needs to be rotated out. He can't play Thursday, Sunday, or Wednesday, Saturday all the time. He's going to need to be rotated. And we know that Scott McTominay is not the answer. And United do not have another player who can be molded into the role that Casemiro has in their squad already. So they probably need to add one. Maybe they can get through next season without one. But you know when Casemiro isn't there, there's a massive drop-off. And when, or when Casemiro doesn't play well like at Anfield, there's a massive drop-off. So someone like Declan Rice, working under Eric Ten Hag, could potentially be moulded into that role longer term, but also give you the function of playing a double pivot in midfield if you need to solidify it a little bit more. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see Eric Ten Hag anytime soon, certainly next year even, to go away from this 4-1-5. I think the 4-1-5 has proved that it works. Yeah, overall, over the body of work, it does work. So it's a number six, a number eight, a number 10, wide, forward. That's it. That's all it is. It's a really, really simple system to be able to press together. I, I, I say the 8-9-10, and I include Declan Rice in this. So Declan Rice, people think about him in more defensive <clears> capacity. <throat> Obviously, at West Ham, he is the guy that is... The quarterback, he's the one who kind of does a lot of the dog's work there because he, he plays the six. But he is but a box-to-box box midfielder. But he is a box-to-box box midfielder. That's what he is. That's what he's going to be really, really good at as going forward. I think like it's really easy to look past, maybe go back two years ago, where people were talking about Declan Rice in that mould or saying, yeah, he's going to be a really good box-to-box box midfielder. And suddenly that's just been taken over by Jude Bellingham. So Jude Bellingham is now the box-to-box box midfielder for England, or that's the way it's going to be. That's obviously, there's, there's reasons why that is. I think when you look at Declan Rice... When I think of the number eight position, Scott, I think of it in that in that twofold way. You've got your six eight and your eight ten. So what can your number eight do for you? So Christian Eriksen's played the eight because he can do both. He can kind of do a bit of six eight in terms of like getting the ball, moving it on. And he can also be that kind of eight ten. Absolute elite at the other end of the pitch. He's got nine assists this year. He's going to be out for a while. He's had nine assists. Fantastic return from Christian Eriksen. But you need someone in there that can do the hard work that can do the box-to-box function. And it's actually better at the ball at his feet than people give him credit for. So Declan Rice, this is where Declan Rice comes into it. Declan Rice is going to be leaving West Ham. 
There's no doubt about it. West Ham, I think that it's, it, he needs to move on somewhere where he can develop the next part of his game and to be at an elite football club. That's just the truth. So, of course, he might go back to Chelsea. He's a Chelsea boy. He's from the Chelsea system. He's Mason Mount's best friend. But Chelsea have spent a lot of money on players in similar positions. You've just bought Enzo Fernandes, haven't you? There, You're probably not going to buy Declan Rice. Probably. Just as the way it stands. Declan Rice, for me, chemically, in terms of DNA and the way he plays and his outwardness, is perfect for Manchester United's midfield. Casemiro at six, Rice is an eight, and then you find your ten. Whether that be Bruno or someone else, that's a debate for another day. The other choice, of course, is Frankie de Jong. Frankie de Jong can play six, eight, can play... 8-10, but he's a different type of player. He's not a leader. He's a ball player. And yes, you do need ball players, but if you've got Ericsson in there at the moment, maybe the need for it isn't the same. Also got to remember, Scott, next season, Hannibal, Zidane Iqbal. You've got two young players there who are not potentially going to do Garnachos, but have that Garnacho ceiling for me. I think they're both really, really good and they, they will get minutes. So like Garnacho has solved your problem on the left, and at the start of the season, people were saying to me, Garnacho won't play this, this year. He needs to go out on loan. No, you've got ball players in there now at the football club. That's not saying don't buy Frankie, but it means that you could go and get a more robust box-to-box midfielder to help Casemiro. Now, I think that's really important going forward. You need another leader. Declan Rice has been captain of a football club. He's still young. And I can see him doing the Roy Keane function at Man United. I hate to make that comparison because I think it's crude. And I think that he's more like Roy Keane was at 23, 24. Like Roy Keane wasn't this like superhero. Roy Keane was actually more technical footballer and actually a, a goal scorer. I was there on Roy Keane's debut as a boy against Notts County. He scored twice in our Old Trafford. It was an amazing day. He slid towards us. And we were like, we've got this amazing goal scoring midfielder. Of course, as time went on, he became more functional. So for me, Declan Rice and Harry Kane are the takeaways in the next window for me. If you've got just those two players and then maybe found your 10, whoever that might be, might even be Bruno. I think you're really loads better. Like you're here at the moment and you've done well. But if you want to be title contenders, you need to bridge that gap between you, City and Arsenal. Well, Roy Keane doesn't rate Declan Rice that highly, as he said over the weekend. And they don't agree that he's worth any more than 60 million. But as we pointed out of camera, United paid 52 million for Fred. And, you know, I think Roy does that. Sorry, Scott, I think Roy does that because he sees himself in Declan Rice. I think he sees himself and he doesn't really want to make the comparison. He doesn't want to say Declan's like me. I think Declan Rice is a really good self-managing footballer. Is that He's a team player, but he understands responsibility. He's done that at West Ham. Look how good West Ham have been in the last 12 to 24 months. Declan Rice has been 80% of that for me. Like, he's led that team. And he's a young... He's still a young man, isn't he? So... There's a lot of hype around England footballers, and I know people will go, oh, you know, you talk about English footballers again. I do think that there, there are other choices out there. You could, I don't know, maybe some like a Palinho, or there are players that you could look outside the box to bring in to, to develop. I think Declan Rice, you could probably get him for around 80 million at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, in the summer around that time. I'd be delighted to see him as a Manchester United footballer. I really, really would. I think he's good enough. And I think he pushes the mark for Man United in that midfield. But that midfield needs to be kept being built, doesn't it? You can't just go Casemiro every year and expect that it will be okay. You need to bring in more talent, more robust talent. And yeah, maybe Frankie. We've uh, we've digressed a little bit from the Liverpool humbling. Sorry to bring you back to that if you are still listening. Um, but we've been... A, we, we're doing an extended show, but looks of it today. We're up to 54 minutes. 
just a closing few minutes, Rob, on Real Betis on Thursday. Yeah. The important thing is to, like we said earlier, never forget that happened at mm-hmm. Anfield, but use it to your advantage, learn from it, and ultimately start winning a game and go on another run of form, starting with Real Betis and Southampton on Sunday. Yeah, totally. Before the game against Liverpool, actually, I, I tweeted that I, I just wanted Man United to show, to counter-press and fight for the badge because that is like the, the prerequisite, what you must do. And you didn't. All right, yeah. you didn't do it at Anfield. You didn't do it at Anfield. Now go do it in the next game and go and do it in the game after that. So Real Betis, uh, a really good team this year and I think have shown incredible development over the last two or three years, really. They're right up there on the kind of outside of the cusp of the Champions League places in Spain. And they're going to give United a test. There's no doubt about it. I think that the way that they play football... Um, kind of in terms of their build-up play and how they like to to attack, Man United could use their style of football against them because Man United can do that with their own counter-press. So we need to see more of that. I think maybe we need to see Ten Hag just go back to basics a little bit now. So like, who do you choose to do certain things? I'd like to see Sabitzer in there. I still think Sabitzer maybe is a more suitable number eight in the system than Fred is, even though Fred's had his really big moments in recent weeks and months. What else do you do at the top end? I'd like to see Veghorst go back to number nine so he leads to press. And I think you need to get that shape correct again because I think at Anfield that disappeared. Multiple reasons why, but you need to fix that against Betis quickly because you can't lose this game now. If you lose this game, then suddenly it becomes a run of poor performance, doesn't it? You need to get out of that funk really, really quick. So I don't know. What do you think about Real Betis, Scott? Win these next two games 2-0. That is, that's yeah. it. Win them 2-0. Comfortably. Win them comfortably. Com- comfortable, be yourself. Get back on it and put yourself in a position where that thing at Anfield that happened is something you will hold with you, but don't show that it's affected you any more than it did that day. The totally. important thing is to look forward and learn from those mistakes and never repeat those mistakes. Absolutely. And and that's why you remember it. That's exactly why you remember it. It is fuel. Yeah. You're putting it straight into the fuel tank and you're saying, we will never let that happen again. And do you know what real bet is? You're the ones who are going to get it in the neck now. Southampton, you're coming next week. You're going to get it in the neck. You're going to sh- we're going to show everyone what we really are because what happened at Anfield is not a real d- depiction of what we are as a com- as a complete collective. So I think that that's really important. Now I think I said to you off camera as well. If I was Ten Hag, I'd be saying to the team, "You go undefeated now to the end of the season mm-hmm. in the Premier League. That's it. Now you've had you've had six defeats. That's it. Now you don't get a seventh. Yeah, you've had your six defeats and some of those defeats have been horrible. Liverpool, City, Brentford. You know, you've had these really horrible days at the office, but they've gone. Remember them, use them as fuel and move forward. So I think that's kind of where we are. I think what this show has shown today, Scott, and I wanted to do this, is that there's a lot more things to talk about than just the 7-0. Don't reflect on the 7-0 inwardly. Don't be over the top about it. Just use it. Just keep it there at kind of just the side of your mind there and say, we are not going to let that happen again. And I hope that, say, players like Bruno, who I've criticised, I want them to prove me wrong, Scott. I really do. I wanted Cristiano to prove me wrong. I really did. But, you know, he ended up going to Saudi Arabia because that was best for him. I want these players to be better. 
And I think they can be. And I trust Ten Hag. You know, the one thing that's not wavered in any of this week, Scott, is what I feel about Eric Ten Hag. I don't think that whatever mistakes he made at Anfield, let's be honest, he's made a lot more great decisions over the last several weeks. Man United won a trophy a week ago. Yeah. So we are in a good place still. Man United fans, I hope, remember that. An hour-long dissection of that game and hopefully some copium slash hopium for for you. Uh, If you're still down about it, let's hope the players can uh, learn from it as well and move on. Anyway, uh, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And watch us. We'll be back Friday. We also record Tuesdays generally. Head over to YouTube, uh, like this video, leave a comment for us. With, let us know how you're feeling. If you, if you got this far, let us know how you're feeling. Subscribe to the show, join the community, uh, and the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. Get in touch with us on Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. Like I said, we'll be back on Friday. Rob, thanks again. We'll see you soon, everyone, for another Promised Land podcast. Be well. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.